Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. That you've all enjoyed that wonderful, wonderful lunch. And we will commence with our, with our program here. And um, I have to announce the topic for next week. And it will be, who is ISIS? And where are they taking the Arab world? And the speaker is Aimam and Professor Syed Suharwadi. There, I said it. <laughs> anyway, and these, um, and, and remember that you can always access on www.sacpa.ca for information. Uh, there's a suggestion box in the lobby if you have any suggestions or ideas for SACPA. Now, we're going to have a time for questions. We can question Louise on the orphans of Africa, the AIDS problem in Africa, and I'm sure that you will have lots of questions. There's a mic over there, so please go up to the mic if you have your question. If you are too shy, which I doubt, you can give me a, a question on a piece of paper with your name on it, okay? But you are now welcome to ask questions. Keep your questions brief, okay? Or the question is okay, but uh, leading up comments. But I'll be there to, to kind of monitor that. So welcome for questioning. <coughs> Thanks, Louise, for your uh, presentation and your enthusiasm for the work that you're doing. I'm Mary Shillington, and I sit beside a Harumba uh, grandmother in our choir at McKillop, so I've heard a little bit and been to some of the fundraisers locally. Um, you, you sparked an interest at our, at our table about why uh, uh, so many, uh, such a high rate of uh, HIV AIDS in, in uh, Eastern Africa and and can you give us a little we figured out there would be some social uh, implications from that so uh, different things can you give us some of that information please thank you good question <clears throat> well there's lots lots of contributors I guess I would almost call it the perfect storm if you will in that um, Poverty, of course, is a huge one, right? When you're poor, you've got poor sanitation. Um, you're illiterate in so many cases. Um, you're not informed. So in some areas, witchcraft is still highly regarded and practiced. And so... And there's all these, I'm sure you heard the one in South Africa where uh, if you have AIDS, you'll be cured if you have sex with a virgin. You know, this, these are things that were happening back in the early 2000s. So all these myths and rumors. The other thing, of course, is gender inequality. Um, it's another main root cause in that in many parts of Africa, a woman cannot say no. 
and the other um, contributor to that is wife inheritance. So if the husband dies, the wife is inherited by the husband's brother. And maybe that husband's brother's wives have died, right? So he's infected. So you have to go live with him. So there's laws around that that are starting to be recognized, but in the regions and are in the outback, if you will, um, it's culturally, that's the reality. And uh, one of the women that testified at the tribunal had exactly that issue where she was to be inherited by her husband's brother and she knew that he was likely infected so she refused and she had death threats it was like brutal they she was told by the whoever that all her children were going to die because she'd refused this and um, she st stood firm and she tells her story in this film so again I would re highly recommend it so those are just some of the reasons let me just Pop over here for a second. Um, polygamy, I think I touched on that earlier. Uh, lack of infrastructure. So information just doesn't travel very well. So prevention isn't being practiced. You know, in Africa, it's very easy prevention. Abstinence, be faithful, and condoms. And, um, I mean, in the cities, everybody knows there's great big billboards that show that. But, I mean, you get out in the field, in the villages, they're very insulated. And as long as they stay there, they're unlikely to be infected. But all too often, the men will go away to work in the cities or other areas. And um, they might come back with the virus, unfortunately. So those are just some of the reasons. I hope that helps. It's probably much more complicated than that. But Sorry, go ahead. Thank you. Um, Austin Fennell. Um, that was a good presentation. Thanks very much. Uh, I'd like to know a little bit more about this issue around government support. I heard that no, none comes from government, and 60% is from volunteer donations and so on. Can you say something more about this government support issue? Hmm. <laughs> um, I'm not sure that the Stephen Lewis Foundation has ever even asked for support, frankly, to be honest with you. Because, again, the foundation really does not want to be beholding to anyone, for one thing and doesn't want decisions to be made for it in terms of accountability. They keep, they keep the accountability. They have such great partnerships with those projects over there that there's mutual trust. There really is. And they are accountable to the foundation for the way they spend their money and all that. But I'm not sure sometimes that they might meet, you know, the letter of that form wasn't filled out or this wasn't filled out. Like they really try to stay away from too much bureaucracy is is kind of the the main message here. So I'm I don't know. I, I don't know all the intricacies of that, but I'm not even sure that they ever really approach the government for money, frankly.
I didn't quite, quite get your name, dar darling, but I'll tell you what. Thank you. You have 110% in my, my books already as being a nurse. I'm, I'm privileged to be an, an honorary member of the Registered Nurses of Alberta. And and uh, so you're 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 num number uno already, okay? Oh, thank you so much. I would like to ask you <laughs> a very vital question, though. With the uh, I'm not telling you how old I am. <laughs> <laughs> if I told you, you'd be astounded how old I am. But at any rate, how much help? It's going to hurt some people here. How much help do the churches? give this Stephen Lewis Foundation, who to me is a hero of Canada, should be recognized, uh, with their prop propaganda, so-called, of, of non-use of prophylactics, what have you. They're, they're, they're promoting, still promoting that today, from the Pope down. Now, despite all that, how much help have the churches given you? Some of the churches, <coughs> Are, are actually helping us quite a lot. Some of the churches, the grandmothers, I'm speaking about the grandmothers here, I'm not sure about the foundation itself, but the grandmothers, a lot of us have our meetings in churches and have our even events. Churches will give us free space, um, free promotion. They promote things, activities in their respective parishes. So... I would say among some denominations, we've had good, good support. And I'll stay quiet about the rest. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I'm Trevor Page. I, I have a comment about Stephen Lewis, and that'll be followed by a question. Stephen Lewis was Canada's ambassador to the United Nations. When I was the... United Nations Director for Humanitarian Emergency Assistance Worldwide. And when he came on the scene, he was like a breath of fresh air to the UN. He was outspoken, he was straight-talking, and that is not a trait of most UN diplomats. He was also very supportive um, over serious questions when Somalia was falling apart, which I was in the middle of. Um, I was quite interested to see on your slide that your, his foundation doesn't accept money from the government, and I'm not surprised at all. I mean, although Stephen has been provincial and the nation's representative to the UN, Government bureaucracy was not his thing at all. So I'm delighted you have that he's got, and you're, you're part of the uh, organization, a people-to-people -people, uh, arrangement going, which is by far the best. Um, I, my question is, do, does, your, or does Stephen Lewis Foundation issue tax receipts for donations from the public. Absolutely. It's a Canadian registered charity. And uh, for $20, a $20 donation, you will receive a receipt. Anything equal to that or above that. And in fact, I believe that if you request one for $5, you would get it. 
they are a small organization. They're very nimble and they're so accommodating. They're they're just amazing people that work in that office. They make a lot less money than they'd be making across the street, but they're all so passionate about the cause. They will they they love um, the, what they're doing. Uh, they love the grandmothers, and um, they're they're so accessible to everybody and they love the donors of course thank you oh just one other point about you said you admired Stephen Lewis Stephen Lewis came to Calgary a few years ago and I had the pleasure of introducing him and I called him the grandmother's <coughs> um, Justin Bieber <laughs> I said you're our Justin Bieber <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Douglas Mitchell. Uh, I just want to follow up on this go whole government funding issue. Uh, I've had a fair bit of experience from most recently working for Kairos, and as you know, they were chopped, and I've done several things with CEDA, another controversial uh, organization. It was much worse than the days when I was working for them, I think. But... Um, I can understand why someone like Stephen Lewis doesn't want to have anything to do with government money. I think this is an indictment on behalf of the population of this country that they keep voting for a government that wants to do nothing but uh, follow their own theocratic <laughs> system of government uh, to some extent, and yet we are... Uh, concerned about the theocracy as well. Um, my 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 take on this is, and I've also worked for uh, our church's relief and development organisation in, in India, particularly. One thing you did not mention, which I always found in West Africa and in India very heartening, is the response of the children. And I, I would like it maybe to comment on that. But the trouble is, the government. Uh, our present government, anyway, uh, they always require, they're giving away our tax dollars, therefore they have a responsibility to monitor that. But to monitor it in a, 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 and, and to cut or add to it depending on how we as a, as a population think. And all I can say, and I don't want to be political about it, but uh, I can understand why with CEDA monitoring, and, and all these other things that uh, restraints are put on you if you accept government funding. I'm not surprised, and I think God bless um, the Stephen Lewis Foundation for the work it does. Thank you very much for your comments. Yes, the last thing we want is for organizations, those grassroots organizations, to be nailed down to the desk filling out forms all day long. They've got work to do in the field, and that's where we want them to be. Thank you. Thank you very much, Louise, for coming down to speak to us. Uh, I'm going to get a little bit political about this thing, but uh, not necessarily, but Africa in many ways are getting colonized all over again by several industrial nations. I won't name any of them. Uh, but that does not improve the lives of the people that we are talking about here today. Is that, is that a correct assumption? 
Let me say that um, I'm being recorded, so perhaps I won't. <laughs> um, yeah, thanks for your comment. I have very strong feelings regarding that, but I probably shouldn't be sharing them today. <laughs> You're a wise woman. <laughs> Anyway, thank you so much, Louise, because this has been an incredible presentation. My name is Frances Schultz, and I do not know whether you can answer the questions that I want to ask, but a number of years ago, Stephen Lewis gave a presentation here at the university in which he was talking about the horrendous damage, internal damage, that was done to the women in Africa during the various wars that were going on, and that, that he was working on two things. Number one was trying to document and bring justice for those women to the perpetrators of these crimes, but secondly, also to give medical help to try and aid them to recover from the damage. And I don't know where the funding for this was coming from, and I don't know if you have that information, but I wondered if you did. Thank you. Thank you. Now, there is a hospital that the Stephen, Foundation, or Stephen Lewis Foundation helps fund, and I can't recall if it's in Sudan or the Congo. Do you know? No. Anyways, it's, a, it's a where they do the genitalia repairs because of uh, war injuries. Hmm? Is it Addis Ababa? Oh, it's in, in Ethiopia then. There's a hospital there, and um, they do marvelous work at helping these women um, regain their lives, if you will, because their lives have been just totally destroyed by their problems. So uh, I do know that, that foundation money goes into that. I believe it's cost-sharing with other organizations. And just on that note, what's happened in the last five years or so with the recession uh, is that funding, a lot of the projects are co-funded by the Stephen Lewis Foundation. So it's not total funding in several of these organizations. But a lot of the funders have pulled away because of the economy and so there's more and more pressure for the Stephen Lewis Foundation to be pouring in more funds. And that's why they haven't been able to accept any new proposals for three years now. They've, they've got stacks. They come in at about 100 a week to the office in Toronto. Stacks and stacks of proposals. And for a while, Alana had them in her office. I was actually there one day, and I went into her office, and there were stacks, stacks all around her. She had this paper. It reminded me of some of the government offices I've been in. Oops, did I just say that? Anyways, um, and she said, they are proposals. And she said, we can't fund them. We don't have the money. So like, she finally asked to have everything moved into storage because she said it was starting to affect her health because she's just like her dad. She sure didn't fall far from the tree, that one. So um, uh, she's, she's passionate about what's happening over there and so wants to help. So thank you for your comments. 
Uh, Terry Shellington is my name. Uh, thank you very much for your presentation and your information. I have two questions if I can get away with it. One is uh, you imply that the Stephen Lewis Foundation is unique in Africa. Would there not be uh, foundations from uh, European countries, for example, who are doing somewhat similar work? Absolutely. There, there are. I'm not sure that if I did use the word unique, that was a mistake because absolutely there are other good organizations. The only comment I would make is do your research before you throw your money uh, at uh, organizations because absolutely uh, he's got a lot of friends um, in the NGO world and uh, people that think much like him. In, in Europe, specifically. Uh, you're probably referring to the amount of money that goes into administration and promotion and so on, and McLean some years ago published a layout of all of the uh, groups that uh, do charitable work and the amount of money that goes into administration and self-promotion, and, and it's quite striking, the difference. Uh, my second question was uh, uh, takes us back to the question about why Eastern Africa is so much more afflicted than Western Africa, and I understood your your uh, uh, description of uh, poverty and how that affects it and so on. However, I would have thought that poverty is also rampant in Western Africa. Are you saying that culturally Eastern Africa is much more backward and economically as well rather than the West side? Thanks. That's an excellent question. I wanted, one of the things, uh, just before I answer your question, I wanted to refer you to a few books, one of them being 28, written by Stephanie Nolan, who used to be the Africa representative for the Globe and Mail for a number of years, and she wrote a book called 28, and it represents one uh, stories of 28 people, one person per, per million affected by the virus. So it's 28 distinct stories. And one of them addresses your question. There's a road that runs from South Africa all the way up to Sudan, a beautiful road that's one of the best in Africa. And the truckers went up and down that road, right? Need I say more? They feel that that was a contributor, shall we say, to the virus traveling into some of the countries. Um, and if you'll read 28, there's one specific story that is torn, and I see somebody nodding here who's already, who's obviously read it, but um, this trucker gives a testimony as to his behaviors when he was driving up and down that road being HIV positive. And uh, yeah, so that's one reason. A lot, another one is that a lot of people go into the larger cities, and I think that happened in the east, like Nairobi, Johannesburg, um, into Cape Town, Durban in South Africa. And these men would go into these cities to work and um, come back infected. And some of the mines in South Africa, some of the mines, right, with where the families were separated from the men. And um, I can't say that's the contributing factor. I'm saying it's one of. And I'm sorry I can't speak to others at this point. Uh, just uh, before we continue, uh, other books. 
um, one is We Are All the Same. It's a delightful little story, but disturbing as well. It's about a little boy, and it's written by a journalist. It's a true story who met him when he was a baby and watched him grow up. And it's his story. He ends up living with a white woman, this little boy. And it's uh, it's a really compelling emotional story. Lovely. Um, we The other one is called Heaven Shop. And I don't know the author. Um, and it's, again, a story of a young girl living he Heaven Shop because her dad, um, her dad's job was making coffins. That's why the book is called Heaven Shop. And it's a young girl whose life is impacted severely by AIDS. Okay. Hi, my name is Carol Sakia. I have a kind of a two-parter, if I'm allowed. Uh, the first one is, because I have such great respect for Stephen Lewis and therefore his foundation, and what I've heard today has been reinforced by others, uh, I get this in the mail after, you know, you make your contribution, whatever. And I resent getting these because I would rather they spend whatever few, maybe it'll buy a mosquito net, I don't know. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I don't need this propaganda to further support the, the foundation. So I but wish there was a way they could eliminate that, that aspect of it. You can unsubscribe. Have you tried that at no. the website? No. And if not, call them. Okay. Yeah, it's it's a conundrum because a lot of people love it, but yes, you can unsubscribe anytime. And in fact, you can read it online. It's online, so you can read it there. Yeah. There's some excellent stories in the, yeah. in the grassroots. They're only put out twice a year. They used to be four times a year, so they have cut it back. The other thing is they've got some great great allegiances with printers, so they get some pretty cool rates in okay. terms of generating those. And those costs are included in the 10%. Oh, okay, good. So I, yeah. but I would invite you to try to unsubscribe and, and call them if not. Yeah, there's a few charities that I can say that for and this happens to be one of them. Yes. <laughs> anyway, the other half uh, of my question is I'm impressed by the number of Canadian um, branches of the grandmothers groups so that was pleasing to me. I don't belong locally. Well, you um, can join. The other thing I didn't mention was <laughs> it's not just for grandmothers. It's called grandmothers and grandmothers. Oh. So those of you who are interested, welcome. Call us. And if you don't know anybody in Harambee, call the Stephen Lewis Foundation. They'll put you in touch with Harambee. They've got their number. So, yes, this is not uh, one of these secrets sororities it's um yes we we love new members i just wanted to make a plug for them because i must say in the last probably year maybe year and a half i have heard more about this charity in this community than almost any other i mean you can think of heart and stroke and lung and they're always around but these gals are doing great work locally they sure are yeah. let's give them a hand I ladies, <laughs> stand. All the Harambe ladies in the room, can you please stand? Thank you. Wonderful work. And we have fun, too. Lots of it. Um, so with respect to that, so they've, you've been around for about eight years as an organization. 
Has the, has the funding improved significantly every year? Oh, yes, because okay. the groups are growing, right? Yeah. So we're now at 240 groups, and uh, we now have a few groups in Australia, and we have at least a couple of groups in the U.S., and maybe even one in the U.K. I have Alison Longson with me here. She's from Calgary as well, and she traveled on one of the grandmother groups this spring to go visit some of the projects in Ethiopia, Rwanda, and South Africa. She just did a presentation on that last evening. So, um, uh, is there a group in the UK? I can't recall. Yeah, uh, okay. Yeah, so it is growing. And uh, Stephen Lewis is just, he just cannot believe it. He calls it a movement. He said, it's the only movement of this century that I'm aware of, is the grandmother's movement in Canada. <laughs> and some of us who are older think about movements a in a different context. <laughs> We'll entertain one more question. Uh, thank you so much for your presentation, uh, Bev Trainer. Uh, I have a question regarding, and I'm not sure you'll be able to answer it, but it's regarding the orphans of Africa. And I'm wondering what the foundation, how they view African orphans being adopted outside the continent of Africa. Yeah, thank you for that question. That's Yes, there are conflicting views on that, of course. Um, and I don't know really that the foundation takes a position on it. Um, I know that some of the Africans I have met in my travels say African children belong in Africa. But at the same time, I know friends of mine who have adopted African children and are giving them opportunities that they would not be getting elsewhere. So it's one of those things um, where I don't know that everyone will always, any one will end up agreeing, all agreeing on the same. Just in closing before we, we go here, I just wanted to say one more thing. I see this not as a charity situation, but as a human rights issue. Why do those people deserve any less than what we have? And yes, maybe they can't generate the wealth that we've generated, but they've been raped and pillaged by the world over and over again over the centuries. And, um, you know, on top of that, now they have this horrendous pandemic and um, I'd, I just feel that as a Canadian, we are so blessed, and I hope all of you agree, that we live where we live and we have what we have. But with that, in my head comes some responsibility. And we have charities here as well. We have issues here. And I'm not saying you don't do that and you do Africa. I'm saying we have a responsibility and maybe we should give a little to both is my feeling. Thank you so much. Give this lady a big hand. Thank you so much, Louise. Thank you for all for coming.